All right, it's February of 2017, and I'm I'm tapping out again. I've always been tapping out. I've been tapping out for like three years at this point, almost honestly. And I really I wasn't sure I could do it anymore at that point. I'm 27 years old, and I'm talking about jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu. And on this particular occasion, there's a guy who's uh, he's he's maybe like 170, 175 pounds. He's like at least 20 pounds lighter than me. I was maybe 195 or 200 pounds. And the thing is, he's he's just kind of one of those guys. He's like a prick because he can beat me up, and he knows it. And you know, I always tap out when I roll with him. And um, you know, I remember on this occasion, it was a triangle choke. It's always a triangle choke. Let's be honest, it's a triangle choke. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's kind of like where a person wraps their legs around your head, like around your neck, and like they they choke your neck out that way. It's hard to explain in a podcast, but it's a triangle choke. And I always try to meathead my way out of it by like like just using brute force to like pull up on my neck it's like the worst move that's not the way you're supposed to get out of it the best way to get out of it is probably to like lean forward and change your position like in jujitsu as a general rule it doesn't work to try to beat good technique with pure strength you just end up not actually getting out of it and eventually hurting yourself and probably (laughs) it's probably the reason that i've one of the main reasons that i've kind of had some like I'm not going to call it upper spine damage because I don't know if it's actually something with the, the spine, but like kind of in the area of my upper back, like on the right side over the last, mm, well, five or six years really since I stopped doing jujitsu, that I always have this recurring pain. And I feel like a lot of it is related to me trying to meathead my way out of too many triangle chokes. And then it didn't even really work anyway, and I would eventually tap out. But anyway, so that's what's happening again and I'm tapping out because I tapped out probably I don't know a thousand times in my jujitsu career like most people do okay now in a minute I'll explain more about then how I eventually kind of got rid of the the um well if I can call them the spine issues and kind of overcame this injury because it's something that's very valuable to a lot of you but I'll get back to that in a minute so um it's February 2017 in the meantime, I'm waiting to see what happens because it's only like a few weeks after that horrible second polygraph that I had, and I'm not sure how that's going to affect my life. Um, but so I'm still doing jujitsu, and like you know, I started jujitsu in 2014. Uh, that was when I well, I was in Brazil at the time, and I was in Brazil learning Portuguese. But a big part of the reason I wanted to do jujitsu is because I thought it could help me if I joined the CIA because they're always talking about different martial arts. Brazilian jujitsu is Uh, I mean, you can argue that it's the best for learning how to fight in a real-world situation. Uh, There's a lot of ways you can argue that, and it's a tricky one. But anyway, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a tough sport, and it's a humbling sport. I, I, (laughs) I recently had a friend who, um, you know, he's another, he's a strong athletic guy, and he went into a Jiu-Jitsu class locally where he lives, and, um, kind of the same thing (laughs) he goes in there and he like thought that he was going to just wipe the floor with everybody he's like i'm big and strong i'm going to win and then all of a sudden he's he's tapping out against people who are 50 pounds lighter than him and this is what jujitsu teaches you right and it's a life lesson as well because most of us are not nearly as tough as we we tend to think but more on that in a minute right so like i started jujitsu in 2014 had done it for about three years fairly consistently and I'm not knocking jujitsu. I actually, I highly recommend jujitsu or most most martial arts to people. Like if you're someone who's interested in it, I, I, I recommend it. I do recommend it. And actually, 
after it's all said and done, because I did it for about three years and was like, I was a blue belt. Okay, I was a low-level blue belt. You start as a white belt, then you you earn your way to a blue belt, then a purple belt, then a brown belt, and then a black belt. Okay, I stopped at blue belt. All right, and you know what the most important thing that you learn when you practice jujitsu or another martial art or some form of self-defense is the most important thing you learn is that you should never pick a fight with anyone in the real world unless you have to. Why? Because, okay, if you look down any random street, 90-some percent of the people out there do not know how to fight. But there's a small subset, less than 10% probably, who do know how to fight. And you can't necessarily tell just by looking at that person. Like, sure, some people, like a friend who I'll get back to in a moment, just have, like, special forces written on their forehead, basically. And you kind of know, like, okay, yeah, yeah, don't mess around with that dude or girl, right? Uh, But, like, some people you just can't even tell. Like, it's just a regular-looking person, you know, maybe a guy or even a girl just kind of like average height, average build, not even really muscular fit, just whatever, and then they will absolutely murder you, okay? And I say, <laughs> like, I say the word murder you, um, you know, metaphorically, but the reality of jujitsu is you're training a sport that essentially if someone beats you in jujitsu. If you tap out, that means that they can kill you if it comes to it in real life. That's that's what you're training for. You're training for a real-life situation in which you have to fight for your life. And the most important lesson you learn is not to pick a fight in the real world. Avoid a fight at all costs simply because you don't know what that other person knows. And a lot of people think, you know, a lot of people go into jujitsu, you know, especially guys who've maybe played other sports or just athletic or whatever, and they think, well, oh, I'm big and strong. I'm going to dominate this. Yes, Okay, strength makes a difference. Size makes a difference. (laughs) But be very careful. Be very careful, all right? Because a 220-pound muscle-bound man who's never done any jiu-jitsu or martial arts is going to go in there against a 140-pound black belt woman and lose. And she could kill him under certain circumstances. Do you understand? Okay, and and like we could nitpick here and say, well, maybe he would just do this and whatever. Okay, it's tricky, but you get my point here. It's not just, it's, it's it's so much about technique. It's not just about size. And another key thing to understand, and this is just a tip, the you know, as a, well, a personal trainer and someone who's done a lot of, athletic ventures throughout my life at 34 years old now I've finally come to understand is that we are really only good at what we are specifically training for what we are specifically trained for at that time okay so there's obviously a lot of elements of like functional strength involved in jujitsu I mean if you've ever if you've ever wrestled around with a wrestler (laughs) you know that even though they might like not look that strong or they might not even be able to bench press 275 pounds or whatever, wrestlers and people that understand how to use their body because they've been doing this for so long where they wrestle people on the ground, they are some of the functionally strongest people you will ever meet. Okay, And this is an important lesson for any of you in any aspect of fitness Okay, is that you are going to be good at what you are specifically training for. What do I mean by that? Well, some people, you know, exercise or whatever because they want to get a a specific result, but you're not even like actually training for that thing. Does that make sense? Like some of you want to get like a, you know, a jacked body and get like in really good shape. You want to, you know, have a, a muscular physique, but then you might, you know, choose to train mostly cardio, which is going to train your cardiovascular system, 
but it's not going to make your muscles grow. And it's not even really a great way to burn body fat, but that's a whole long topic for another day. That's just one specific example, okay? People want to be, you know, better at playing basketball, for example, and they want to have better stamina and endurance on the basketball court, and they think, oh, okay, well, I can go run three miles every day. Yeah, there's a little carryover, but not even really. Everybody that's been on a basketball team before knows that it doesn't really matter exactly how you're training in the offseason. If you're not playing basketball, you're not ready to go play basketball. It's a whole different thing. Like The only way you can really train for it is to go play basketball games. All right? Yeah, don't be a fat slob. The guy who runs three miles a day and eats clean is going to have a better chance than a fat slob, but you're not in shape to play basketball until you go play basketball. Okay? So it's what you're specifically training for. It's functional strength. Now, me, for example, just talking about strength, like how did I eventually fix that, you know, that recurring injury? Because what would happen is probably because of being too stupid and not, you know, tapping out when I needed to tap out during jujitsu all those times, I probably messed up kind of my upper spine. I mean, it makes sense. You're in a triangle choke and you're trying to pull your neck up out of it while the guy's cranking both of his legs on your spine makes sense you might have some spinal issues after that right luckily it wasn't that bad but what always would happen is i would be doing like weightlifting like shoulder pressing overhead pressing for example and with dumbbells or barbell and i would i would hurt myself i just like i would i would like re-injure that area it would seem like right and i'm like gosh i, I don't know what to do about this like i tried a bunch of different things and then um it's hilarious I had a friend, um, and he will, of course, also remain anonymous because there are no names in these Life Lessons episodes, but he goes, and I'm going to spell this out for you because there's also no swearing in these Life Lessons episodes because of a Spotify thing about does your episode contain explicit content, blah, 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 and I don't want to mess around with the explicit content, so there's no swearing, okay, it's another rule, but he goes, <clears throat> I was telling him about this, and he has a lot of experience weightlifting, told him, you know, yeah, I've got this issue. I hurt myself in my shoulder presses and everything like that. And he goes, that's because you got some B-I-T-C-H-A-S-S rear delts. That's because you have weak rear delts. Okay, the rear delt muscle is, you know, the deltoid is the main shoulder muscle. It's got kind of like three heads or three parts, like a triangular shape, but there's like the front, the side, and the rear. And the rear delt is a muscle that most of us, it's extremely underdeveloped in most modern human beings because we always like sit moving forward. We're like on our computers looking like a praying mantis, you know, just like typing there and everything. And we're, we're like hunched forward and we don't do anything where we like strengthen those rear delts. And so I'm like, huh, okay. And because like anytime somebody insults me like that <laughs> and calls me weak in any area, I'm like, hey man, that was you very nice. But then of course I'm like, <laughs> uh, he, you know, he, he meant it in in good spirit, obviously, and it helped because here's what I did. Then I started strengthening my rear delts. Now, obviously, if I have any like actual spinal damage or something like that, I don't know, but it really helped. Strengthening the rear delts was a big part of what I needed to be able to do heavier overhead pressing exercises without injuring myself. Now, some of you might say, well, that doesn't mechanically make sense or anatomically. All right, just work with me here. Just work with me. I don't know exactly what the anatomy of it is, and, you know, maybe chiropractors might disagree or a functional doctor might disagree, but I know what happened anecdotally. And I know that strengthening my rear delts is what's made it now. That way I can do overhead and shoulder presses 
and not hurt myself. And quite frankly, I just look and feel better and have better posture. But here's the key thing you need to understand is that a lot of times we've kind of been told that when we uh, have like a nagging pain or injury or something in our body, whether it's your shoulder, hip, knee, whatever the common things are, we're often kind of told that we need to be like more flexible. Maybe we need to stretch more and stuff like that. And sure, there's a place for that. But what we often don't realize is what it is is a lack of strength. It's a lack of strength, say, in the surrounding muscle, the auxiliary muscles, because we don't think about that. Like, people neglect the rear duct. You're like, oh, I hurt myself when I'm pressing overhead with my shoulder. It must mean that, like, you know, my front anterior deltoid is weak or something. Well, no, it's actually the back part. It's one of the supporting muscles. The principle here is that oftentimes if you have, like, a nagging injury, whether it's a joint, whatever, it, it's probably related to a weak auxiliary muscle. And this is why in, you know, in physical therapy they do lots of strength training, you know, they're strengthening lots of muscles in a very controlled way on different machines, okay? Now, yeah, I'm getting into the weeds with some of the the science stuff here, um the physical weakness. But the real the real thing I want you to take away from this whole monologue is in terms of like mental and emotional strength most of us, okay, well, physically we're not as tough as we think, and most of us are not as mentally and emotionally tough as we think. Once you, once you get outside of your comfort zone more than you have been to this point in life, you're going to tap out, metaphorically, way, way more than you actually think you would and way quicker than you think you would. Because I always like to try to think of myself as like a never give up type of guy. You know, like that's, it's just like a model of my, just never give up, never give up, never give up. And, um, you know, actually, so I have a cousin who was a U.S. Navy SEAL who was, was killed in Afghanistan in 2011. Um, and like, so Navy SEAL types are the people that I admire probably the most in this world. And I really try to be like them in certain areas, even though I probably wouldn't be able to survive like half of the things that they can do, if that. Um, but like I just I really admire like just the kind of the the no the no quit mentality, right? But the thing about it is, like at thirty four years old, having, you know, gone through the experiences that I've gone through and gotten out of my comfort zone in different ways at different times, I have to humbly admit that even those of us like me who like to think that we're like, oh, I never give up, I never quit, I never tap. No, we tap frequently and a lot more quickly than you would think. Everybody taps. See, for example, I mean, maybe not everybody, but basically all of us tap. So here's an example. You know, I have a friend who obviously will remain anonymous. He's the guy that I was talking about earlier who, you know, he's, uh, he's one of the type of guy that pretty much has special forces on his forehead. You just take one look at him and you're like, yeah, that guy, okay, don't mess around with that guy. And I met him more recently. But and he, he's essentially, you know, not exactly a Navy SEAL, but same type of thing. And um, he was explaining to me about how to, to become what he became, he had to go through essentially like the same type of process where they do like, and he said this is not an exaggeration, I swear, he said it's not an exaggeration, it might be, but he said they do 40 days in a row with 40 minutes of sleep per night. Yes, 40 days in a row with just 40 minutes of sleep per night. Not even going to get into, he, he claims it's true, and actually another guy backed him up that that is the way it is. I'm not even going to get into what I think actually would happen to you physiologically if you only slept 40 minutes you know, each night for 40 straight days. Not even going to get into it, okay? They swear it's true. I don't think they're lying to me. And here's the thing, even if, it's, even if that is a slight exaggeration, 
we know that this exists. We know that in the elite special forces units of the world, there's something like similar enough to that that exists, whether it's 40 days with only 40 minutes of sleep, like we could split hairs. But the point is these are rigorous things that they put you through to see who can survive. And according to him, there were 80 people that started, and after the 40 days, about 20-something of them had made it through. The rest had quit. The rest had tapped out. Okay? Now, I have to... Like I said, I asked him afterwards, like, what is it that, so so what is it? Like, how did you make it? What is it that separates the people who make it from those that don't? Because I know when you get to an elite stage like that, like an elite special forces unit, everybody going into that, I guarantee you, has the I'm never going to quit attitude. Everybody's saying that. Everybody, I mean, it's like, it's like a Navy SEAL slogan. It's like, I'll die before I quit. I will not quit. Everybody had that attitude going in. But 50-something out of the 80 quit. What does that tell you? It tells you that, having, that thinking that you have a never-give-up attitude doesn't mean that you're not actually going to give up. It doesn't mean that you're not going to tap out. And, um, <laughs> and you know, I ask him, like, what is, so what is it that separates? How did you make it? What is it that separates the, you know, the 20-some from the 50-some? And he's like, honestly, man, I can't even really tell you. He just can't really give an answer for it. And some of me, part of me says there's probably a genetic component to this. I mean, everybody's body works differently in a lot of ways. You never know when your body's going to tap out in what situation. Some of it might be luck in terms of, you know, how guys' immune systems are and girls' immune systems. I shouldn't make it out like this is an only men's thing. But um, the lesson here is just, just be humble if you're listening to this. Whatever stage you're at in life, if you think that you're tough and that you're not going to tap, quote unquote in certain situations this is especially true this is especially true for like the big tough guys you know the guys that maybe have been football team captains or whatever stuff like that you know that or that like the big shot ceos these are the worst ones it's like the big shot corporate america ceos you know guys that like make freaking four hundred thousand dollars a year and run big companies and walk in in fancy suits and think that they run the world and like you put them out there in like nature for like 15 minutes and they'd be like oh my god they would be crying like a b-i-t-c-h you know like 45 seconds in a cold shower or 24 hours of fasting with no food and you just tap you tap right like all of us tap way faster than we think it's so easy to think that we're not going to tap so to speak when we like we envision real world situations like we're sitting here in our like comfortable you know 72 degrees fahrenheit room with water and food on demand and we got a great place to sleep in the evenings and like all of our physiological conditions are perfectly met and we're like yeah i'm pretty tough i would never tap i would survive out there and the reality is you get into like a real world situation for the first time and you're like oh my god (laughs) mommy All the tough guys and tough girls tap in like 10 minutes. But um, (laughs) it was so basically 2017, February is when I decided to like officially tap out of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for good. Maybe I go back and do it again someday. I don't know. At this point, it would kind of become it kind of became a thing where I'm like, well, in terms of wanting to prevent injury and then, you know, it, it costs a lot as well. And then just didn't really, you know, work with my schedule. I mean, I yeah. I decided to tap out, and then there was the whole, like, CIA thing. I realized shortly after that, more on that in a little bit, I suppose, in the next episodes, but 
realized shortly after that that I wasn't going to be working for the CIA. Just I just figured it's this is not worth it for me. I'm not that passionate about it, so I'm tapping out of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. However, I still do recommend Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or any form of martial arts to you if you're interested. And if you do it, just make sure you train with people who are not in it to try to... We're not in it because of their ego every day. They're not always trying to you know, smother people. <laughs> because typically if you train with someone, it's actually odd. You're less likely to injure yourself typically if you train with a black belt than with a white belt. A black belt is trained and knows how to do it in a safe way. Yeah, you're going to lose <laughs> every time against a black belt unless they let you win. But they know how to train in a safe way. They're not training with ego. They're not trying to smother you into the ground. Okay, but it's a very, very good skill to learn in life and a very humbling skill more than anything. So, got it? Everybody taps. We'll talk again soon. Love y'all. Peace.